All right, second half, the final half of the week as we head towards Father's Day weekend. We'll be joined by Joe Rexroad coming up in just a little bit. Also, uh, we'll actually have a double segment with him. Plenty to get into, including the Preds, the NBA, College World Series, plus uh, a little story that Mo wants to get into. We'll talk about it as we welcome you back in the second half, uh, the Hall of Famer Mo Patton, Steve Lehman, our special guest with us today news channel five with us all afternoon um for another half anyway uh but for the whole show so glad to have him in on this friday uh as we welcome you back here in the second half so a lot to get to mo so i won't waste any more time get to uh, you're it. not wasting you're not wasting any time man but i appreciate it um steve a couple of nights ago tyler anderson of the la dodgers took a no-hitter into the eighth um, eight and a third before giving up a triple to um, Shohei Otani. But there's an article in on LATimes.com regarding Dave Roberts' decision to let him roll um, after so many other similar situations where that wasn't the case. And I, I just thought it was an interesting situation as you look back at it. And Dave Roberts made some interesting comments in this article from the, from the standpoint that, you know, you don't get many opportunities to throw a no hitter. And for this guy, 32 year old left-hander who hasn't really been that guy throughout his career to, to be in that position, he had thrown 99 pitches through seven and just felt like Roberts did that everything kind of lined up. He had had a short start in his previous start. The Dodgers were going to have an extra day off, that kind of thing. So he wasn't going to be pitching. He'd be pitching on longer rest than normal in his next start. But Roberts has been so cautious with guys in the other direction previously, cutting guys short on those type opportunities. And this column kind of lauds him for letting him pursue that opportunity. And I thought when we've heard these type scenarios discussed and when we've seen Roberts kind of get beat up for those early hooks, that you've got to manage a pitching staff for 162 games. And providing the entertainment of somebody being able to say, Hey, I went to the ballpark and saw a double header. Uh, I saw a no hitter. That's not necessarily what you're there for as a manager. I, it, it just kind of strikes me as odd. Maybe. I, I mean, I think it's great that the guy had the opportunity to get it, but, and, and hopefully the 123 pitches that he threw don't come back to haunt him later on. I mean, you never know how that's going to work out, but, I just thought the whole situation there was interesting. Yeah, it is. And it really shows where we are today in Major League Baseball and baseball in general is this, these pitch counts. They're like the gospel. You cannot go above a certain number. You want to hold guys to a certain number of innings. You, you, you manage not just the number of pitches, but like the stress level of the pitches. It's gotten very fine-tuned. And I'm going to sound really old here, but as a guy who pitched growing up, I – I think you should be able to throw 123 pitches and come back in five days and it not be any problem at all. That's part of the job. I mean, literally these guys spend all year long fine tuning their arms and their entire body to get out there on the mound and 
throw the baseball and then come back and do it all over in a couple of days after that. So I certainly think when a guy's on the verge of potentially making history or having the best outing of his career, you should give him a little bit more leeway there. And, then, you know, maybe next time out, maybe you've got a little bit quicker hook because he did throw 123 pitches. Maybe you get him out after 80 or 90 in the next game if you think it's important to balance that out. But when a guy's in the groove like that and going, I, I think he should be out there. And I don't think it will affect them long term. You're right. You do have to manage the entire staff and every arm for 162 games. But, man, if this is the downfall of Tyler Anderson's season because he threw 123 pitches and came that close to a no-hitter in the ninth inning, then we've got bigger issues with our pitchers in baseball. Absolutely. A lot of attention to him. But they are a little beat up. I mean, Walker Bueller is is out right now. Clayton Kershaw has had his issues, obviously. Um, but to your point, I mean, I think you're right. I, I think a major league starter should be able to throw that that volume of pitches and be okay unless they've got something in their history that dictates otherwise. It just it was so counter to Roberts's approach previously that I that's kind of where it kind of caught my attention to some degree. Well, and I applaud him for that because I think if anything, too often we see major league baseball managers become robotic. They've got some level of they've got a book there or they've got a philosophy or whatever written in a on a napkin from Morton's dinner last night in their back pocket and they just stick to it all the time. And it, you know, a guy Guy gets into the seventh inning and gives up a base runner. He's retired 15 consecutive guys, but you immediately go to the relief pitcher. Just, I, I think especially in the postseason, you see that all the time where a starter's doing well and he gets into the sixth inning and then all of a sudden there's one base runner on and you go into this formulaic bullpen thing where you think you go to like a, a long relief guy and then a short setup guy and then the setup man and then the closer and that's a lot of pitching changes where anything can go wrong and what you figure is probably a tight game if you have a starter that's pitching well at that point. So I applaud any manager that kind of looks at the situation, understands the guy on the mound, and tries to think about the situation as a whole as opposed to just do it by the book. It's it's interesting that you use the term formulaic because that's what I always loved about the National League. I'm an anti-DH guy just because it's really kind of plug and place. You, you know, you you make a couple of pitching changes, and other than that, you just go on. There's no real repercussions for when you make a move on the mound or anything like that. And so you can go five or six guys if you want to, and it doesn't change anything in terms of how it impacts your offense. But, um, yeah, when, when you've got guys – that are rolling and then they have a little hiccup. Sometimes you let them work through it. I, I think we've seen it on the brave side with Kyle Wright and, and Ian Anderson in a couple of situations where they've run into a rough spot. And I guess in part because of the DH, they've been allowed to kind of work through it. So, you know, sometimes the best move is no move. Yeah. And I also think, especially when you're early in the season or maybe early in a guy's career, sometimes it's good for him to experience some of those lumps, too. And I think that is specifically the case with Kyle Wright, a guy who's got all the arm talent in the world and 
experience in big games at, at the college level and now at the professional level, when he first got up to the big leagues, he had some struggles up there in various different roles. And he went from starting to the bullpen and all that sort of stuff. He had to work through some of that. And now I think he's throwing the baseball pretty well. And I expect Kyle Wright to have a very good and long major league career, unless, you know, knock on wood, there's an injury or something that comes into play there. But I, sometimes you need to experience some of that adversity to understand what it's like at that level and what it takes, frankly, to pitch consistently at that level. And I think, to your point, the Braves allowed some of their young stars to experience that. Interesting insight from News Channel 5 Sports anchor Steve Lehman. And what I picked up on, Steve, is you're a former pitcher? <laughs> yeah, you, you got to go back a few years for that. We're talking 20 years ago now. But, yeah, I, I used to throw a bit. Used to throw a little. Listen to him. Um <laughs> Steve Lehman spending the afternoon with us here on Main Street Sports today. Um, JP, what are yes, you sir. what are you holding on to over there? Uh, well, I was just uh, while you guys were talking about um, about the the pitching, um, I was updating some scores, and uh, for those that may not be able to see it, that may be listening right now, Atlanta, Chicago, still scoreless in the sixth. Philly is leading Washington, bottom of the seventh, five to three. Oklahoma now a 12 spot on Texas A&M. That's in the bottom of the fourth, 12 to four, the score there. And Lingmurth is now at minus five to lead the U.S. Open. There are four others at minus four. So that's uh, that's the latest on sports going on at this moment. That's That score out of Omaha is pretty interesting mm-hmm. because I think a lot of people, as they looked at that, eight teams that got through and we're going to talk a little bit more about this with Joe Rexrode when he joins us. Um, I think there are people that would tell you that Texas A&M was probably playing the best of anybody going into Omaha. And so for Oklahoma to be up, you said 12, three, 12 to four, 12, four, excuse yeah. me. Um, but still early only little, in the fourth inning. <laughs> a little unexpected. I dare say. Yeah. Well, Oklahoma's been red hot mm-hmm. been down the strip of the season. They won the Big 12 tournament down at the Globe Life Field in Arlington. They went in, won a regional in Florida, who was red hot, got to the SEC tournament championship, and then went to Virginia Tech last weekend and won pretty handily, putting up a bunch of runs. So Oklahoma's playing great baseball right now. They've got a lot of momentum here. Maybe that's not all surprising, but by the way, Two of these teams who are in Omaha, there's four SEC teams there that doesn't include either number one Tennessee or the Vandy Boys. And two of the other teams there are coming to the SEC. It's <laughs> yeah. Oklahoma and Texas. So it's not going to get any easier to either compete in the Southeastern Conference or to find your way to Omaha out of this conference. In the coming yeah. Years. I, I, I wonder how much of a chip Oklahoma has on its shoulder because I think they feel like they should have been a host team in in that regional round anyway and got sent to Florida as a number two. And that's kind of where they built on that momentum from coming out of the Big 12 tournament and certainly have carried that into Omaha leading A&M 12-4 here. In the fourth inning? They just went to the top of the fifth. Good Lord. Yeah, just updating That's... that. They win the top of the fifth. So A&M is the home team as the higher seed, of course. So they will get the last at bat. And we've seen in this College World Series tournament, no lead is safe, right? So it's it's a long, a long way from being over. Uh, 12 runs 
you know, and and just a, an eight run lead is is nothing that's gonna um, you know make you sleep easy at night. I would imagine not yet. Yeah, well, guys, and I had a question going into Omaha if we would see the prolific offense of this season continue because historically that ballpark plays massive. I mean, they went like five years with three home runs in the College World Series total. So I wondered whether it was Tennessee or whoever went out there with the huge numbers of home runs and runs put up this year in college baseball, if that would continue in that ballpark. And at least through five innings of game one, it appears that it is doing just that. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, when we come back here on Main Street Sports today, we will be joined by Joe Rexrode of The Athletic. Um, going to kind of be a hodgepodge. There's a lot we can um, pick Joe's brain about, and so we're going to see how far we can go with that. So <laughs> stay with us on the other side of the break. Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint treats your orthopedic injuries and existing conditions. Our trained physicians will get you back in the game faster. Contact us at 931-381-2663 or www.mtbj.net. Hey folks, while we take a quick break from the show, I want to tell you about our friends over at Custom Stone Handlers in downtown Columbia. Ed Rich and his team at Custom Stone Handlers believe in leadership. And outside of the military, our greatest leader building platform is sports. Custom Stone Handlers proudly encourages young people to get in the game. You can contact them today at 931-490-4990. Or visit customstonehandlers.com. Jones and Lang Sporting Goods here in Columbia has been outfitting teams, officials, and anybody else from T ball to college for 50 plus years. Be sure and check them out at 931 388 8060 or online at jonesandlang.com. Jones and Lang Sporting Goods, the look of a winner. Zion Christian Academy, zioneagles.org or 931 388 5731. You can schedule your appointment. Go toward their campus. It is beautiful over there and you're definitely going to want to see it. Again, it's zioneagles.org. Give them a call, 931 388 5731 and schedule your tour today. Are you an enthusiastic sports fan? Want to have fun and get in on the action? Heck yes, that'd be awesome. Have great attention to detail? Want to stay active? Definitely. Want to give back to the student-athletes in your community? Obviously, yes! Then you'd make an excellent high school sports official. We need more officials in Tennessee. Because with no high school officials, there are no high school sports. Sign up today at highschoolofficials.com. Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint has been the official sports medicine provider for Murray County Schools for more than 40 years. We specialize in orthopedic injuries and our OrthoQuick walk-in service lets you bypass the ER. Visit us online at www.mtbj.net. back in Main Street Sports today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint. J.P. Plant, the Hall of Famer, Mo Patton, our special guest host for today on this Friday from News Channel 5, Steve Lehman. Glad to have him in with us today. Quick update. Uh, we are now at the top of the seventh. The Braves and the Cubs still scoreless. Only five total hits. The Cubs got a couple of runners on there in the bottom of the sixth, unable to get them in. 
So the Braves are at the plates and out in Omaha. Still 12-4. Oklahoma batting now in the top of the fifth inning. That over Texas A&M most. So um, not a whole lot of movement there. And uh, they're in a commercial break at the U.S. Open. So we'll, uh, I'll get the crawler going and uh, try to keep folks updated. Awesome. Awesome. J.P. Plant pushing all the buttons and sliding all the slides down in Lawrenceburg. Um, again, Steve Lehman with News Channel 5 joining us here in place of Chris, the vacationing Chris Yao, who should be back and well-rested, or back anyway, mm-hmm. on Monday. Not sure how well-rested he'll be, but we'll see how that goes. And joining us now from The Athletic, one of our favorite guys, Joe Rexrode. Um, and Joe, you were, you were in Knoxville this past weekend. Um, you know, I think Steve was kind of looking at flights to Omaha this time last week and, um, Hmm. that kind of got preempted, but as you look at the Omaha situation now without Tennessee in it, who do you like out there? Oh gosh, it's so funny too, guys. Like how, like I was just thinking today, like how different would this week have been? And was it supposed to be? You know, in terms of digging in on all the teams out there, and and yeah, preparing to go out there. And right now, it'd be you know, I think well, yeah, t- Tennessee would be playing today, I believe, right? I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, who do I like yeah. out there? I mean, I guess I'll go Stanford. You know, Stanford is is a pretty dominant team this year too. Uh, did get some – you got a run there from UConn, beat them in the first game in the Supers, and they, they won the next two. They're, you know, they're, I guess, a pretty conventional pick. I will say, it, it, actually, on our show today, I picked Stanford to beat Notre Dame in the final series. Notre Dame, you know, sometimes you see those teams like that, like Michigan three years ago. You shock the favorite, or the one seed anyway. And I don't know if you say it was necessarily the favorite. Vandy probably was the favorite of a lot of people still, but – this year, obviously, it's a favorite, but uh, Michigan shocks that team in the in the supers, and then gets to the final series. I can kind of see Notre Dame doing something like that. They certainly, you know, seem to have the makeup of not backing down from anybody. They they went into a hostile, literally, a hostile situation in Knoxville, and and came out of there. So uh, it it would be tough to to not think that they're capable, I guess. And and maybe they're peaking at the right time. I think the um, the 40 wins was a little um, misleading, perhaps. But but this is a, that's a Notre Dame team that had, had been through it here over the last couple of years, as people have pointed out, went down to Mississippi State and pushed the eventual national champions to the limit on their home field. So definitely a battle-tested bunch there. Yeah, no question. And, uh, you know, a couple um, arms that were just really important in that on Friday and Sunday, you know, to beat the Vols, um, not great depth with the starting pitching. And that's the, that's the crazy thing about that, that weekend is that the one thing I thought that might, you know, just give Notre Dame a chance, they have two really good starters. We, we've seen that before. That's sometimes supers can really be equalized by that, but the Vols, you know, blasted their ace you know, and still lost the series. But um, if they can get enough good performances there, they're, it's a good all-around team, a very old team. Coaches always talk about that. And they've got a lot of 
a lot of veterans, like you said, Mo, and they've, they've definitely, uh, you know, been through a lot and, and to get to this point. Yeah. Um, I kind of liked Texas A&M until about 30 minutes or so ago, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, they just gave uh, up a grand, they got it to 8-3 and you give up a grand slam and it's like, oh, okay, never mind. But hey, I mean, who knows? This thing could end up like 15 to 13. Certainly would certainly wouldn't be a first, I don't guess. Um, you know, out I, again, I, I had liked Texas AM coming in. Who out of this four four group four team group from the SEC West do, do you like as as having maybe the best shot at, at advancing through? Well, I do like you know, I like the Arkansas um story and I like how they're playing and I like their team and yeah, you know, the, the the team that had the bitter disappointment a year earlier, that of course, you know, you could look at Vanderbilt 13 and 14, right? I mean, that's kind of the, uh, kind of the path for them. So that, that's who I'd go with. I'd go with the hogs. feel like that's a, a solid call anyway. Um, Joe Rexrode of the athletic with us here on main street sports today. Um, now that you don't necessarily have a, an, Just wait for it. There we go. Hello? May want to ask that again, Mo. I think you dipped out on us. Oh, okay. Yeah, you sorry, know, I lost you there. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, of this four teams, how, well, I was going to ask you, how closely would you follow Omaha now that it's not really of local interest, perhaps? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I still think – I still watch the games. I mean, I'm watching this game right now, um, but it's – you know, there's obviously a huge difference between a local team being there where you're attuned to every pitch and you're maybe you have it on up, oh, gotta go do something or other, right? Keep track of it. I mean, it is it is well timed. I mean, you the NBA finals just ended and it worked out perfectly for the College World Series. You know, of course there would only have been one more game anyway, Sunday night, but um you, you know, you got the Stanley Cup final and you got major league baseball regular season and it's it's a well-timed event. I mean, I feel like most years, I don't know about you guys, but I mean, you know, for me, most years, I end up watching a lot of the games or chunks of a lot of the games just because it, it just, it's a well-timed event to kind of step into a void. Yeah, I would agree. Joe, I got a question about Tennessee that we kind of hit on it on Sunday Sports Central a few nights ago, but I'm curious, you brought up the team that had the bitter disappointment as oftentimes positioned the next year. But this Tennessee team is going to lose a lot. And Tony Vitello said after the game on Sunday that <laughs> he sort of joked that whoever said time heals all wounds, I don't know if they've ever played baseball or really understand what that means. <laughs> How do you think Tennessee yeah. bounces back next year with, again, what looks like uh, a pretty new cast of characters that they're going to have to deal with and the bitter disappointment of this in a tough conference how do you think they're positioned to rebound from the disappointment of last weekend? Yeah, it's going to be fascinating, Steve. And there are people in that program who, who will say, you know, next year's team will be more talented, will be more gifted. Now, that's still, to me, that, that, that's a big statement. That's That certainly is looking at some recruits and some young guys because there's a lot of opportunity for people to step into that lineup and a lot of loss. 
And also, I mean, my, my question with that is like, what does it do? Like, look, I've, I've been outspoken and Vanderbilt fans have not liked it that I think Tennessee should keep doing things exactly how they're doing them. And if it ticks people off, then it ticks people off, but it works just because they, they, they failed in this postseason. That's, that's baseball. That's this tournament. You keep, uh, you know, you keep doing what Tony Vitale is doing. You're going to keep getting swings at it and you're going to, you know, you're going to have a lot of success, but you know, I mean, Drew Gilbert in particular, Jordan Beck too, but especially Drew Gilbert, to me, he was the emotional heartbeat of that team. And, and he was the guy who was out front with the, a lot of the stuff that ticked people off. But they do lose a lot of that, you know. They, and even like Lipsius, I mean, they, a lot of guys who were great players, leaders, also absolutely loved the swagger that maybe bordered into, you know, uh, stepping over the line at times. How different is the team in that way next year just because of those losses? I don't know. But I know this. They've got, you know, Burns, Beam, and Dolander coming back for that rotation. And as you guys know, that's the, my first question on any team is, like, what, what's the starting pitching look like? They got some good good bullpen arms, too, and there's some guys making decisions there. We still don't totally know how it's going to look. But, I mean, look, I, I thought they'd take a – Kind of a decent size step back this year. Not not huge, but I, I wasn't. You know, they were picked. I guess fourth in the East. I didn't even realize that until they said that during the supers. But I'm hesitant to expect some big step back. It's just that we're going to have to see some guys perform. You know, at the plate who haven't. And even like Evan Russell. I mean, there's a guy who's been such a key part of that team uh, who you're losing now. So questions, but I I would be more surprised if they're you know, not really good, you know, than if they, I'm saying it poorly, but I, I would expect them to be good. How about that? <laughs> yeah. The problem they have is they've set the expectations so high now that truly for Vol fans, they want to win a national championship in baseball. And that's what Vanderbilt somehow was able to do in 2014 after the 2013 team, which was so loaded, lost in the super, they were to come back and, and catch fire and win the national championship, that's going to be the challenge for Tennessee, whether it happens next year or two years or whatever. Until they get there now, I think there's going to be kind of the pressure and the question lingering over their head, can they get it done? Yeah, no, that's fair. Absolutely. Um, I mean, they, they do have, and that's the thing, I thought this would benefit them. They have Omaha last year, so for some guys, although I'd say, gosh, next year's team, there's gonna, there's not gonna be a ton of Omaha memory, right? Um, right? You know, from last year to next year, but, but yeah, no doubt. I mean, and that's the thing too. Now, if you're a Tennessee fan, you can point to that that time period. And you can say, see, uh, in '13, people didn't know, uh, you know, that Dansby Swanson and Bueller and Fulmer, those guys, were gonna be what they quickly became. You know, and that's kind of the Tennessee hope is that. Um, you know, that some of these young guys who just couldn't crack the lineup this year, you know, are ready to to really take off. And, of course, they got the shortstop from Kansas, a lot of excitement about him. And, I mean, who knows? There could be more portal activity, too. I would think that Tennessee, for recruits and uh, players in the portal, would be very attractive right now. Definitely something to keep an eye on. And that's we had um, Vanderbilt Athletic Director Candace Lee on yesterday, and and she made the point, and and it seems obvious, but at the same time, it bears saying, it's not easy to get to Omaha. 
Exactly. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing. You think about, so now let's see for the one seed since, since seeding started in 99, I guess now we can say it is, well, yeah, yeah. You can say it's nine times more likely that you won't make Omaha than that you will win it all. If you're the one <laughs> Tennessee's the ninth, you know, the ninth such one seed to, to not get there uh, in 23 years. Pretty amazing. That That is an amazing stat. Joe Rickstrode of The Athletic joining us here on Main Street Sports today. We're going to um, take a quick break, and when we come back, um, want to get a little bit into the NBA Finals that wrapped up last night, as, as you mentioned, Joe, um, with Golden State getting it done in Boston and whatever else comes up between now and the bottom of the hour. So um, stay with us here on Main Street Sports Today, present, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint treats your orthopedic injuries and existing conditions. Our trained physicians will get you back in the game faster. Contact us at 931-381-2663 or www.mtbj.net. Hey folks, while we take a quick break from the show, I want to tell you about our friends over at Custom Stone Handlers in downtown Columbia. Ed Rich and his team at Custom Stone Handlers believe in leadership. And outside of the military, our greatest leader building platform is sports. Custom Stone Handlers proudly encourages young people to get in the game. You can contact them today at 931-490-4990 or visit customstonehandlers.com. Jones and Lang Sporting Goods here in Columbia has been outfitting teams, officials, and anybody else from T-ball to college for 50-plus years. Be sure and check them out at 931-388-8060 or online at jonesandlang.com. Jones and Lang Sporting Goods, the look of a winner. Zion Christian Academy, zioneagles.org or 931-388-5731. You can schedule your appointment. Go toward their campus. It is beautiful over there, and you're definitely going to want to see it. Again, it's zioneagles.org. Give them a call, 931-388-5731, and schedule your tour today. A game without a crowd is just a scrimmage. A performance without an audience is just a rehearsal. Without your presence, high school sports and the performing arts aren't possible. Ensure that these essential extracurricular activities continue to enrich the lives of students in Tennessee. Purchase a ticket to your local high school's game or performance. This message presented by the TSSAA. Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint has been the official sports medicine provider for Murray County Schools for more than 40 years. We specialize in orthopedic injuries and our OrthoQuick walk-in service lets you bypass the ER. Visit us online at www.mtbj.net. Welcome back in Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. Final segment of the show, JP alongside the Hall of Famer Mopat, News Channel 5, Steve Lehman, and joined by Mr. Joe Rexroad as we welcome you back in, Mo. And uh, final segment, still uh, Morikawa and Lingmurth 
uh, atop the leaderboard of the U.S. Open at minus five. Still scoreless at Wrigley. And uh, the Phillies still lead uh, the Nationals five to three. That now in the ninth inning. There you go. Yeah, I'm I'm starting to get a little concerned about the goings on at Wrigley Field, but Charlie Morton's still out there holding them down. So we'll see how this one finishes up. But um, as we mentioned before the break, Joe Rexrode of the Athletic, um, Golden State trailed 17-10 when I was when I turned the game on last night with about five minutes left in the first quarter. And then they went on a 27-5 run and pretty well took control of that game. Um, I had said earlier this week I didn't think it was going back to Golden State after they won game five. Um, rarely am I right about anything NBA-related, so I'm <laughs> going to hang on to that one for a minute. But, um, yeah, were you shocked at, at the way things played out last night, Jeff? I don't know about shock, but I was a little surprised. I thought Boston would uh, summon a much better effort at home and send it to seven. I just thought this was a really good matchup between two closely matched teams. And um, it's amazing to think, I mean, Boston is holding a lead you know, in that fourth quarter of, of game four uh, with a real chance to go up 3-1. And Steph Curry just flipped it on the series on its head, as it turns out. You know, you got three straight wins. For Golden State, I mean, I I will say I was a little bit shocked. You, as you mentioned, Mo, twenty-seven-five. You know, in in there was a twenty-one nothing run, and it was just, um, you know, it was it was kind of amazing. Uh, not just go, what Golden State was doing, but also Boston just feeding that with some really bad turnovers. But ultimately, I mean, I thought last night was uh, was Dray- Draymond Green's best game in a long time. It was one of those games where he just He's in every passing lane and making plays on both ends of the floor. Steph, of course, was outstanding. And uh, I think that any any questions about Golden State in that group have kind of been answered now, right? You would think. And, and while you mentioned Draymond and probably his best game of the postseason, Andrew Wiggins continued to get it done last night as well. Yeah, well, I would say Wiggins was their second-best player in this series. And you think about the reaction to that trade, uh, moving D'Angelo Russell, who I never thought remotely fit what Golden State likes to do, by the way. Um, I thought it was a great move to get rid of him. I just wasn't sure. Is Wiggins going to, you know, finally kind of realize um, how talented he is and find a place that fits him? As it turns out, you go to a championship place with, with championship people and expectations, uh, and look what he became. I mean, he had the, the biggest two rebounding games of his entire career back-to-back in games four and five. And they were critical rebounds, um, you know, particularly just on the defensive end at times when Golden State was just getting crushed in the offensive glass by Boston. And then, of course, you know, Steph Curry creates so much space, and he actually took advantage of it when he was going downhill to the rim. He was tough to deal with and hit some big shots. He was fantastic. I mean, those two guys were the two consistent forces, really, because Clay was up and down, Draymond was up and down, Jordan Poole kind of, you know, kind of uh, took a took a lesser role because Boston was victimizing his defense, but then he had some big moments. But that's the thing about Golden State. One thing I think that was clear in this series, like they have a lot better depth, so they can bring a Peyton off, and now all of a sudden he's key. Or, you know, you can even uh, – the Jay Lika, who, whose name I still butcher, uh, 
you know, different guys that they can bring off the bench, a uh, Kaminga if needed. And Boston, I, I feel like Jason Tatum at the end, guys, was just was just tapped out. I mean, he he looked tired. Yeah, he 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 did. Um, he looked tired, and they weren't getting much from anywhere else. And it, it just looked odd to me the number of times that that Al Horford was matched up on Curry. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> There was a possession. They didn't even double when he got that switch. <laughs> they just let they just let Steph Curry, and he, he did okay. He kind of banged him and, and kind of kept him out of there, and Horford kicks out of that. I mean, they kind of – someone kind of was doing a little digging there, but it's like, why don't you just turn around and shoot over him, you know? <laughs> but that's how – I mean, that's how much the game has changed. I mean, it's like everything is – if you can somehow get an open three in the corner – Take that over the two footer over someone who's like a foot shorter than you, you know. Uh, but they got away with it. Uh, you know, it's it's amazing if you watch. So there's that in Golden State. Some of the things they were willing to do defensively that they were fine, which was amazing. And if you if you go over to the other side of the floor, some of these still shots are amazing. Like where Steph is standing, or you know maybe he's moving, but he's like he's like near half court, and there's like two players within five feet of him, you know, and everybody else is just can do whatever they want on the rest of the floor. I mean, that's that's why, like, to me, Steph could have had five points last night, and he's clearly the MVP of this series. I mean, he, he left no doubt with the way he shot the ball last night, but I, I, I can't think of too many players. Like, I think of Jordan and LeBron, players who just basically have the intention of the entire opposition from crossing half court. Yeah. And I think it was the crowning achievement of his career in a lot of ways because it's now four titles. He's got the two MVPs, but now he gets a finals MVP to go on the mantle as well. So if there was any doubt about the greatness of Steph Curry, I think it was answered last night. And the other amazing thing about this Warriors team is Draymond, Clay, Steph, when they all start every game of a series, they've never lost. So that group together – when they're healthy, when they're right, when Draymond's not getting suspended, they're going to beat you in the postseason. And I'll be honest, I was wrong, guys, in this series because I thought at the beginning, I thought Boston had the matchup edge. I thought they'd be better defensively. And I thought it could be the arrival of Jason Tatum truly on the world stage as one of the great players. And, you know, instead, Boston lost its way defensively. The turnovers were a disaster throughout the course of it. And Tatum himself became the first player ever to have more than 100 turnovers in a postseason, which is not exactly the stat you want to hang your hat on. And then <laughs> Steph Curry's on the other side doing absolutely brilliant things. So once again, they proved me wrong. And I, I think they really stamped themselves at a level of greatness that, you know, three titles in the past were great. Steph's career in the past was great. But to get back on top the way they did was really special. I agree. Crowning achievement, or well, well said. I mean, you know, for all that they went through, the injuries. I mean, you never knew if Clay was even going to really be an effective player, and, and you can see that he's not the same player exactly. But um, for them to go through what they did, this time to pass, and look, there were times in those the, the, the middle two championships where it really was like get the ball to Durant, get out of the way. He was incredible, and so you wondered, like, you know, can these guys do it? At this age, you know, without someone like that, but Steph became that. I mean, it's it's, it's remarkable to me. It, 
as a finisher, as a defender, um, he's so much stronger now than he used to be. He's gotten better. And then, and then, I mean, he made that corner three last night where I don't even know how the heck you even get that close to the, to the basket and he just drains it. It's just, it's really remarkable. Like I, I, I can't think of too many athletes in my lifetime. Like I think of, you know, Bo Jackson, Barry Sanders, you know, I mean, I mean like there's a short list of, of athletes where it's like, you cannot turn away um, when this, when this person is performing, I, I put stuff right there with anyone. One of the guys that'll be getting a ring as a result of last night's outcome is Nashvilleian James Wiseman who made a brief appearance yes. at the University of Memphis, but um, did not play, obviously still dealing with that knee injury, but it uh, seems like they really have high hopes for him once he's healthy. So they, I guess, feel like they can be back in this possession yet again next year. Yeah, it's going to be really fascinating, Mo. And Wiseman is, is a huge story. Can he put the injuries behind him and be what they, they think thought they got when they drafted him? Because, you know, add a floor-running rim protector to this. <laughs> I mean, and, and Looney did a really good job. Don't get me wrong, but if Wiseman can be what you know what Wiseman showed at times, you know, before the injuries hit, that could be a really, uh, really timely addition. And then you've got guys. I think Jonathan Kaminga has a chance to be special. Jordan Poole is just going to keep getting better. So. I think they have a chance. I think the West is loaded, and Memphis is one of those teams that's going to have something to say about it for sure. But I would I would assume that Golden State would be on the short list of, of favorites next year with these guys coming back and some of those young guys possibly getting better. Definitely would think so. Joe Rixroad of The Athletic joining us here on Main Street Sports today as we wrap it up. Um, appreciate you coming in with us. and. We'll catch up. Steve Lehman of News Channel 5, thanks for hanging out with us this afternoon. Um, hope we didn't bore you too greatly. Oh, it's a blast. There's a lot of stuff to talk about here in the middle of summer. Thanks for having me on. Hey, we enjoyed it. Um, hope to have Chris Yao back. Plan to have Chris Yao back. Well rested. Come Monday at 2 o'clock. JP, um, Enjoy your weekend. I'm going to. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, we get a little uh, reprieve from the heat for a couple of days before it ramps back up. So uh, so get out and enjoy it if you can, for sure. And happy Father's Day to all you father figures out there. It's uh, a yeah, special time. No doubt. Um, join us Monday, 2 o'clock, here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend.